Welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. I'm Walter Kern. And this is the show where we kind of fly 30,000 feet above the big news stories of the week. There is an accompanying uh, written version of, uh, of America This Week that you can find on uh, taibbi.substack.com. And it goes through the main headlines of this week. This was a big, varied week of news. There wasn't one dominant news story. There was a lot of stuff that went on from uh, the whole financial world waiting for a Fed report uh, to you know, news that the United States might be running out of weapons to deliver to Ukraine to some wacky things that happened in the chess world again. Um, but I think a great place for us to start. There was a New York Times story that came out this week that was, by any definition, I think a blockbuster. Um, it was entitled, U.S. Believes Ukrainians Were Behind an Assassination in Russia. And we can get into the specifics of what that story was. Essentially, it, it, the New York Times quoted a group of unnamed officials blaming the assassination of Russian nationalist Daria Dugina on Ukraine. But the big question was why? And uh, it seems like we, apparently we both independently had thoughts about this exact issue. What happened with you, Walter? Well, it was a, it was a befuddling article. Uh, number one, one wondered why it was even published. If, if the U.S. intelligence community is concerned about Ukraine going overboard and, you know, actions within Russia, committing assassinations and so on, it could have warned them privately. Instead, it sort of chastised them publicly, and it also suggested that it was parts of the Ukrainian government, not Zelensky himself. The, the, the officials seemed to go to pains to separate the notion that Ukrainian involvement was necessarily uh, monolithic. Ukraine. Yes, monolithic, which was a little troubling um, because for all the money we've given them, and now we know we have a lot of uh, special operators on the ground, uh, the thought that they might be ap operating in a fractured way out of our control was, was kind of news. But uh, as I read the piece and, and wondered about its motives, and one of those one of those wonders or doubts concerned whether or not the U.S. was trying to get ahead of being accused itself of having some role in the assassination. That that couldn't be ruled out. As I went through this mental process, I thought, you know, this is an article which gets no closer to solving the mystery, but it does send a lot of messages. It seems between the U.S. government and Ukrainian forces. And though I, as a reader, feel excluded from any answers uh, about what's going on, it does seem that the New York Times has become a medium for the transfer of coded communication between us and our allies. Our allies or, or, maybe, or maybe our enemies? Yeah. You mean you mean it could have been meant for Russia? This piece. Well, right. I mean, you know, when I when I looked at this, I went back and and I remembered the stories that came out at the beginning of the war, where we had all these unnamed sources talking about this uh, these new quote unquote tiger teams of 
National Security Council officials who groups of security officials in the White House who were tasked specifically with leaking news or, or with, with planting stories in the news for some strategic purpose. And, you know, one of the stories that came out was in The Guardian uh, a while ago, and it had a, the headline of it was U.S. and U.K. trying to fend off Russian invasion by making intelligence public. And they had the incredibly, it's just amazingly named character, John Cipher, um, <laughs> come out and say, he just says openly, it's what we used to call what the Russians did. It's what we used to call when the Russians did it, information warfare. And sometimes it's meant for one consumer, Vladimir Putin. So in other words, sometimes when we're reading the news now, we're reading something that's not intended for a mass audience, or it's it's not it's not necessarily for us, who who was always the the primary and only consumer of the news product, or we're supposed to be. Um, we might be second, third, fourth in line now, <laughs> right? I mean, I I I have difficulty with this kind of story. You f you you feel like you're a kid hearing the adults talk at a cocktail party in code. Um, you, you, you feel both excluded and intrigued at the same time. But, you know, having to do Kremlinological readings of the New York Times as an American or as a subscriber to the New York Times is a, you know, a, a strange feeling. Um, now that this information war model has been accepted, as kind of the the reigning paradigm for the uh, you know distribution of information, we don't know when we read the paper whether we are our pawns in the game, uh, you know, onlookers in a in a a sort of uh, intrigue that we can't penetrate, or actually being informed of something. Um, but but in this case, I did not feel informed at the end of the article. I had more questions going out than I did going in, which isn't supposed to be the way the news works. Exactly. And, and even the language internally in the article was incredibly confusing. Just to read a couple of passages. So here's one paragraph. Still, American officials in recent days have taken pains to ins insist that relations between the two governments remain strong. U.S. concerns about Ukraine's aggressive covert operations inside Russia have not prompted any known changes in the provision of intelligence, military, and diplomatic support to Mr. Zelensky's government. Okay, so that's a paragraph where they're telling you, according to the American officials that we're talking to, um, they are not going to do X, Y, and Z, right? They're going to continue delivering um, weapons and support. And then, you know, a couple of paragraphs down, there's, a, there's another passage that reads like this. The war in Ukraine is at an especially dangerous moment. The United States has tried carefully to avoid unnecessary es escalation with Moscow throughout the conflict, in part by telling Kiev not to use American equipment or intelligence to conduct attacks inside of Russia. Now, here's a, here's a passage where they leave out the American official say part, 
right? And it's it's presented as the New York Times that are just saying this authoritatively, which for me just is, is very confusing. Like, I, I, I don't know, are they attributing that to somebody? Um, you know, because there's information in there, right? When, when, when they say they've tried to avoid escalation by telling Kiev not to use American equipment outside Russia's borders. One would assume that it's reporting and not the voice of some, you know, editorial omniscient New York Times uh, committee. Uh, but uh, the other, the, the, but, but when you read those two pieces or those two fragments together, I do get the sense that Russia is the audience because they seem to be saying, you know, listen, uh, we didn't authorize this. They did it. Uh, maybe even a part of their government or their armed forces that we don't control did it. Um, we've been trying to keep things cool with you guys. Don't get any madder about this than you have to. And something seems to have forced the, these intelligence officials to transmit this message publicly or to want everyone to see it. Because as I said before, there's nothing about it that couldn't have been done in private. And uh, I wonder what that urgency comes from. In other words, this, this assassination happened a while ago. Um, and, uh, you know, at the time it happened, it was suggested by many that it was a false flag by the Russians, that they had, you know, blown up the, the, the daughter of their own ideologue uh, in order to blame it on someone um, and then presumably take some kind of direct assassination style action against Ukraine or the West. Um, there was something that changed between now and then. That, that that caused our people to want to put this out, you know, very conspicuously in a newspaper, and I and I can only guess what that is. Right, there, there's there's one passage in there uh, where where they're saying um, the killing of Ms. Dugana, however, would be one of the boldest operations to date, showing Ukraine can get very close to prominent Russians. So you could take it as a message to the world, like, yeah, we can get you anywhere, which is like, yeah, again, straight out of a hood movie or, you know, Godfather Part Two. you know, if there's one thing history has taught us, anybody can be assassinated, right? But that doesn't quite fit with the rest of the text. You know, but that's a tell. I had an old girlfriend once, and when she called me, I knew not to listen to the first, you know, if, if we spoke for a half an hour, I knew not to listen for the first 20 minutes because the first 20 minutes was all camouflage for a, a, a very specific message that she usually wanted to give me, um, but, but needed it to blend in. And if there's a message in this piece that looks like it's, uh, you know, masked or, 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 you know, trying to blend in, it's that this woman deserved it. And we can do anything at any time, anywhere, because they also took pains in the piece to say that Dugan, that the daughter shared her father's, quote, ultra nationalist beliefs. Um, and so I, I thought, what a strange dig to say that um, even though the presumed target was the father, the, the daughter is also 
you know, guilty of, uh, of, uh, dangerous thinking. And, uh, I, 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 I was like, are they trying to brag, justify, or uh, chastise? I couldn't decide. I, I couldn't figure it out either. And I should just get this out of the way. Uh, so uh, Alexander Dugan, the father, was a close friend of a former employee of mine, a, a, a writer named Eduard Lomonov. He was a very, he's a very famous Russian novelist who took a strange late career turn into actual uh terrorism ended up doing a stretch in, in prison um he, he wrote for us at the exile and apparently was friends with dugan at the time dugan was such a small time character that uh we we never like we never had a we never met with him at least not that i remember we wouldn't have thought it was interesting to meet with him uh, but he's become this huge figure apparently um in the interim and uh, the the notion that that um, you know that he's this figure of paramount importance I don't know maybe m maybe that's true but as you say they went they went out of their way first of all to say yeah it was parts of the Ukrainian government that aren't telling um, that aren't informing us what's going on and we admonished them and we had we had no idea that this took place and had we known we would have opposed it. And then at the same time, there's that passage that kind of sounds like they're saying, yeah, we, you know, we can we can reach anybody. There was a moment when I was reading it when I said they are staging a fake argument with their own uh, minions here in order not to be held responsible for a real kind of fuck up. <laughs> be, 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 because remember, though, the daughter is said to share her father's views the assassination of basically philosophers children um is not a regular part of war um you know dugan is a very confusing figure for me because he's held out to be some sort of rasputin like spiritual guide to putin putin um but he doesn't seem to have any real role in policy making and military strategy uh and so on he, I, I i try to think of an analog for him in the united states it wouldn't even be steve bannon steve bannon was in the oh, no. No. administration it, it would be someone like uh, i don't know some writer or, or, or yeah it, it wouldn't know. even be sebastian gorka it would be it, it would be it would be somebody mm, like Richard Spencer, maybe like more in that direction, right? Uh, As Richard Spencer has read the classics or something, um, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would be it would be an educated ver or, or an upscale version of Richard Spencer or something. Because I've read some of Dugan's writings, and what they are is a sort of lofty um, call to traditional uh, Russian values and a sort of fusion between. Orthodox Christian, Muslim, and even Jewish thought as a basis for this, you know, non-Western or not for this for this alternative to godless Americanism. I mean, it's 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 very strange that we are now fighting. You know, we're we're sort of the atheists fighting the theists in Russia. Um, that, but that's the theme of this 
conflict culturally. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I had to also wonder as I read the piece, if there is some fear of retribution uh, that, you know, well, they mentioned that to. too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's also, that's also in the piece, that term you talk about with the ultra nationalist beliefs, incidentally, is not exactly an uncommon ideology that one encounters in Russian thought uh, throughout its history. Uh, you, you'll, you'll find this uh, in the beliefs of all sorts of figures, especially sometimes like, like Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. I mean, Dostoevsky uh, especially, yeah, Gogol. You know, despite the despite the ban on despite the ban on uh, exploring Russian culture that was instituted sort of semi-officially right after the war started, I continue to read the great novelists in defiance of, you know, the authorities. And one thing America needs to know about Russia is that it has a mystical sense of itself. And to call it nationalism is a little bit um, too modern and too contemporary a term. It, it, the the Russian sense of their own soul and their own, you know, basic substrate of of belief and village life and and, and Christianity and so on is not is pre nationalist. It it, it 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 almost has a mystical, almost Native American feeling sometimes, as though you know something comes up out of the land or out of the way of life that that that, that unites these people. It, it it's not fascistic nationalism in the in the vein of you know the Nazis necessarily, even well, though it, because it's because because it's not atheistic, right? Right. Yeah, it's so. not a it's not atheistic, and it doesn't and it doesn't speak to necessarily uh, a plan of world dominion as though it's a superior form of being that needs to be spread throughout the world. It, you know, it, it's not like communism or liberal democracy. It's, it's more, a, a, a an observation about something that's distinctively Russian and that needs to be protected. Right. And, th and this is why it was really attractive to people like Solzhenitsyn, even late in his life. Right. So he, he always distinguished his brand of thought from that of the Soviet communist regime, which, you know, was obviously inherently expansionist and uh, not just beyond its own borders, but within its own territory, it just didn't tolerate any, any other form of thinking. And it was completely atheistic. And, um, but, you know, Solzhenitsyn, uh, believe, uh, thought this way, as, as you point out, Dostoevsky ended up thinking this way, Tolstoy, you know, in, in a, in a mellower way, I would say, uh, thought, yeah. thought this way. Um, and, uh, and even, even Lomonov, although he's not the same kind of writer as, as, as those folks, it, it's just, it's not uncommon. And you're right. It has this, it has this mystical thing about being tied into, uh, specifically russia right 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 uh, but, but but it doesn't have the flavor of the of the 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 nazi-ish uh you know uh blood and soil uh talk because it doesn't propose necessarily that they are a superior um uh, race or 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 people but that they are a distinctive one um and 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 the way 
Putin seems to have framed this this conflict with Ukraine is that is kind of recovering Russianness for those who have been alienated from it by modern you know political boundaries and so on. Right. All, all I want is my people back. Um, it, it, it does not come with the language of expansive world conquest that Soviet communism did, or or, or you know or Third Reich. Uh, Nazism. Yeah, the, the the Russians have this real, um, you know, this concept of Nash, right, which is ours. It, it's 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 pretty hard to to grow up in Russia and, and believe and have a belief in in expanding the Russian experience right. in the entire <laughs> world, uh, because even the Russians relentlessly make fun of what what they would call like Rutsky Buit, which is just like Russian life. You, If you look on the web, you'll find just sort of video after video of Russians doing things like, uh, you know, loading cows into the backs of uh, fiat sized cars or, you know, building building houses that aren't at right angles or or the, you know, constructing the door in the wrong place uh of a building like they're they're kind of proud of their inability to to do things uh efficiently that that you know one person once described it to me as there's not a single right angle in the entire country um and they like that about themselves they have a kind of they have a kind of absurdist melancholy self-image at least in my reading of their literature and uh and it's and it's literature that even they rejected at times i mean dostoevsky with his deep sense of the russian christian soul was 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 a um suspect person or a suspect figure under under soviet communism um so so but 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 you know using the word ultranationalist just to be fair is probably um not the dig that it might be because Ukraine itself is ultra-nationalist. I mean, they, they seem to, in fact, be more deserving of the uh, of the title. Um, and we are defending and, uh, you know, affirming their ultra-nationalism in Ukraine. You know, uh, we want them to have the exact borders that they, you know, have had in modernity. Uh, we are supporting forces that are frank in their fascistic beliefs in in Ukraine, Uber, all this. Um, and uh, you know, uh, there are ultra nationalists on both sides. Let's say it, let's say it that way. Uh, right, right, yeah, and 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 we we're okay with the Ukrainian version of it. The the Russian version is is presented as being. Uh, much more um i'm not going to say it's not serious because it absolutely is serious so they're, they're 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 real about it but there's an element of uh of comedy or or black humor to it that is absent from the american telling like i just just to share the story i remember when i worked at the moscow times the at the time leading ultra nationalist figure was this guy vladimir zhirinovsky uh who is a politician he was in the duma and he was he was famous for being um sort of openly over the top uh in his nationalism and he once said that 
um, he made headlines by saying that the uh, original deal to uh, rent uh, um, or to lease Alaska to the United States had expired. So I found him at the Doom. I said, well, you're really going to take Alaska back? And he said, well, where are you from? And I said, Boston. And he goes, we'll take Boston too. Uh, I went back to the editor and I told him about the exchange and it was too ridiculous for them to even print. The idea of Russia actually trying to reconquer the world, even for Russians, is a little bit ridiculous. Now, it's totally not ridiculous when they're talking about former Soviet republics. They have a long history, you know, of of trying to take over those territories. And in fact, Russia is just a conglomerate of um, conquered languages and peoples. But there is an element of self-parody a little bit that's in the Russian nationalist idea that, that um, like, we don't get a sense of in the U.S., I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, in general, I don't think that this decision that was made early in this conflict to uh, deny America um, insight into Russia was a good one. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess I have a blanket position as a as a writer as a novelist that um people should understand each other even in times of intense conflict and particularly so in times of conflict and and i think that there is a general confusion of the russia that exists now and the soviet union uh, in the american mind they're, they're different beings i think they they have different sensibilities um, Putin has, you know, and as recently in that big speech he gave uh, either last week or the week before, suggested that Russia is the stronghold of the sort of Abrahamic tradition, um, that, that, it's, that it's trying to hold out against a expansive uh, colonial, colonialist West that, that, that wants to undermine it, and that it's ultimately in a defensive position. Um, and you know, whether or not that's uh, disingenuous or not, I, I think there's also at the same time in the West, a lot of rhetoric around Russian expansion that somehow the, you know, they're bringing back the domino theory that Poland's next and, 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 you know, Europe might fall. And, uh, I, I think it's for people to judge whether or not that seems realistic in terms of mm, the character of, of, of Russia at present. Um, yeah, and, I mean, I should admit, I, I, I never, I never foresaw them invading, you know, the the western part of Ukraine, um, you know, the Donetsk, Luhansk. Crimea mm -hmm. part, which you know, which is ethnically Russian and historically, there's there's different uh, relationships between those territories and Russia historically. But yeah, you know, I, I was caught off guard by the the invasion of the whole um, territory. But you're right, yeah, they, they 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 never present it from the point of view of well, what is what is Russia actually thinking when they're doing these things. What's what's realistic? What have they done in the past? Why might they be doing these things? Um, you know, they have Russians have a lot of sour grapes about the West. There's this massive inferiority complex uh, about the West that dates back 
to the 1700s, even before, right? And there and there's a there's a long history of the country sort of oscillating between Westernization and then reaction, where where they go back to trying to be closer to their Russian roots, and this all fits in with that pattern. But they're not telling telling Americans about any of that. Right? They're they're trying to make these comparisons between this and you know Germany 1939, I guess because it's easy uh, literarily maybe to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even you read Dostoevsky's Demons, uh, or sometimes the title is translated as The Possessed, and it's about various cells of sort of proto-socialist um, intellectuals in a small town in Russia in the 19th century. And everybody's speaking French. You know, everybody has just come back from a spa in Germany or, a, you know. Baden. Uh, yeah, and you do get the sense that Russia has, through time, oscillated in its sense of openness to the West and then its fears of contagion by the West, its fears of cultural contagion, that, 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 that it, it always feels somehow on the verge of losing its soul. Um, and, uh, you know, to understand a place culturally is not to excuse it militarily. Um, but 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 I, I really think that a deeper uh, you know a deeper appreciation of what we're we're up against so to speak is is warranted now because as I see more and more commentary on this conflict go the way of kind of Vietnam era if we don't stop them here. If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America this week. To hear the rest of our conversation, please subscribe to TK News at taibi.substack.com.